Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at uh, Center Street Church, uh, those of us uh, here at Central Campus, as well as those uh, meeting in our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. We are one church that meets in many locations. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. This weekend, I'm starting a mini-series that I'm calling Unveiled Jesus in the Book of Revelation. When we think of the last book of the Bible, our mind immediately races to end-time prophecies. How will the world come to an end? When will Jesus return? And what are the events surrounding that? Uh, Many people read Revelation as a secret code that deciphers the timeline of Jesus' return. But do you know, the book of Revelation is not only about the future, but it has a lot to say about the present. In fact, its message is relevant to every single generation until Jesus returns. For it is not only a revelation of end-time prophecies, but it is a revelation of a person, the Lord Jesus. And this book, more than any other book in the Bible, offers riveting portraits of Christ. We come face to face with his majesty and greatness. The word revelation in Greek is apocalypsis, from which we get our word apocalypse. And apocalypse today refers to an event to do with destruction or damage. But that's not the proper use of the word. The original meaning of the word is unveiling, lifting of a cover or pulling back a curtain. It is the disclosure of something that has been hidden in the past. So the last book of the Bible is an uncovering of Jesus. We see Jesus in Revelation like we have never seen him before. That's why the opening words of the book of Revelation begins with these words. The revelation of Jesus. Some translations may say the revelation from Jesus, but it is fair to say both are right. It is a revelation of Jesus and it comes from Jesus. The prophecies about end times, how it will all pan out, is important. I'm not downplaying it, but they become secondary. The object of the book is not for us to come up with detailed charts that outline the timing of Jesus' return or figure out what the mystery number 666 stands for. But the author of this book, first and foremost, wants to reveal the full identity of Jesus. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, most of our understanding of Jesus is shaped by the four Gospels. And along with that, we have Sunday school images of Jesus or paintings or movies of Jesus that we have seen that heavily influence how we view him. Now, most Christians have a picture of a Jesus who is mild-mannered, passive, laid-back, and always forgiving. And this culturally conditioned Jesus, this teddy bear-like figure that we can cuddle up to any time, 
is simply a Jesus of our own imagination. And that is most certainly not the Jesus you will encounter in Revelation. The book of Revelation helps us to see the true Jesus who has all the attributes of divinity. Now, why do we need a right conception of Jesus? Why is this so significant? Now, if we have a faulty, distorted view of Jesus, it is bound to reflect on our Christian lives. But when we truly grasp the image of a magnificent, risen, conquering Savior, and that is bound to impact your Christian life as well. There will be no room for a half-hearted, wishy-washy commitment. We will not be overwhelmed by our personal problems or the problems that we see in our world. The reason the book of Revelation reveals Jesus is to put things into perspective. The struggling early church, overwhelmed by persecution, oppositions, the tyranny of the Roman Empire, and false teachings. They were reeling under these onslaughts. They felt like they were heavily outnumbered. They didn't see how this small fledgling movement is ever going to survive such intense pressures. It called their very survival into question. And God knew what the early church needed was not just a series of end-time prophecies, but they needed a gripping vision of Jesus, once crucified, now resurrected, and glorified. They needed to see that Jesus is the reigning king who will one day set all things right. And the early church fixed their eyes on this Jesus, and they persevered in their faith and continued to advance the Lord's mission. The church today faces many challenges as well. Nowhere near what the early church faced, but we do have our fair share of problems. And our need today is not a new teaching on church growth, but we desperately need an exalted vision of Jesus. And, yeah. You know, that's what this first book of uh, the first chapter of the book of Revelation offers us an exalted picture of a risen, conquering Savior. I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we read our text from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. For we want to see you. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, an incident happened in a small town with a population of about uh, 25,000 people in the state of Ohio that uh, gathered the world's attention. There were several emergency calls from the people of the town reporting that there were wild animals wandering openly on the streets. Believe it or not, there were lions, tigers, cougars, wolves, bears, monkeys, coolly walking on the open. And as you can imagine, it caused absolute pandemonium. Police eventually found out that a disgruntled man who ran a small zoo with exotic animals had committed suicide, and before ending his life, had released all the animals from their cages. And what ensued was like a scene in Noah's Ark, wild animals freely on the move. And sadly, police officers had no other option but to shoot down all 49 of them for the sake of public safety. Now, the gravity of a wild animal's presence changes depending on where we encounter it, whether it's in the zoo or it's out in the open. You know, we have a Calgary Zoo Pass because our kids love going to the zoo. And I've been there so many times that I can walk past a lion or tiger in the zoo and not even bother to take a second look. Now, if you come face to face with a grizzly or a cougar when you're out hiking, now that's a different story. It'll give you adrenaline rush that will last for the rest of your life. Now, I want us to relate this illustration to Jesus. The Jesus of our imagination is many times like a tame wild animal behind bars. 
We're so familiar with this figure that we don't even bother to take a second look. But the book of Revelation offers a breathtaking view of Jesus that challenges our mental conceptions. Drew Dick, in his book, Yawning at Tigers, cautions that in a therapeutic culture, we tend to major on those aspects of God that are most comforting to us while conveniently leaving out other aspects. Now, sometimes we are guilty of uh, creating a safe, predictable view of Jesus like he is our cosmic buddy. And we like this Jesus who coddles us and always speaks words of affirmation. He extends forgiveness every time we do wrong. The book of Revelation unveils an exalted cosmic Jesus. The gravity of his presence is awe-inspiring. This is not the Jesus many people are acquainted with, but this Jesus is the one worthy of our worship. You know, it's fascinating that uh, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was the closest to Jesus during his earthly ministry. He was the disciple Jesus loved. You know, this is the guy who reclined his head on Jesus. Yet the one who was closest to Jesus was startled by this vision. It wasn't the Jesus he was so familiar with. Mind you, there must have been some similarities because it is the same Jesus. But this vision can be compared to the transfiguration on the mount when Jesus unveiled his glory to three of his closest disciples. In the text that we read, John manages to express this vision that was almost indescribable in words. Now let's take a deeper look at our passage. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What was John doing on the island of Patmos? Now, he wasn't there on a relaxing beach vacation. Scholars say the book of Revelation was written around 96 AD when Apostle John was in his mid or late 80s. The church had already suffered greatly under the Roman Emperor Nero, known for feeding Christians to the lions. Under Nero's rule, both the Apostle Paul and Peter had been martyred. But after Nero's time, things did not get any better. In fact, it became even more intense. When the Roman Emperor Domitian came to the throne, he turned out to be one of the most brutal of all Roman emperors. He was an insecure man who lived under constant fear of being overthrown. And Domitian demanded that all of the Roman Empire worship him as Lord and God. Emperor worship was seen as uh, one way to bind the large Roman Empire and instill loyalty. Now, for most Roman citizens, this was not a problem because they were polytheists who worshipped many gods. But the Christians had a dilemma because they had committed their lives to the lordship of another person. And they held on to this core conviction that there was only one Lord. It was Jesus and not Caesar. 
The apostle John refused to compromise, and as a result, he was exiled to Patmos, a penal colony where they sent the worst criminals and troublemakers. The wave of persecutions against Christians became even more intense, and many of them were martyred for their faith. So followers of Christ around the time were confused, discouraged, fearful, and they saw no future for their little movement. It looked like the flame was going to be extinguished. And here, all alone in the island of Patmos, John receives this incredible vision of Jesus that will once again fuel the fire and revive the church. The revelation that John received, he was commanded to share with all the, the churches of his time. Guess what? Such was the power and impact of this book that the struggling early church was uplifted by its message. It carried them through the darkest period in history. And they didn't just grit their teeth and survive this phase, but they surged ahead in their faith and led countless more people to the Lord. They held on to the Lordship of Christ and boldly defied Caesar. And since then, there has been no turning back. You know, that is the kind of impact reading the book of Revelation should have on us today. What was so special about uh, John's message? It was the revelation of Jesus. It was the unveiling of his glory, his full identity. Here's verses 12 and 13. I turned around to see the voice that was uh, speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was uh, someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. John receives a, a reassuring scene. Jesus is presented as standing in the midst of the lampstands. Now in the Old Testament, the lampstand was found in the holy place of the tabernacle and later in the temple that Solomon built. It was called the menorah. It was made of gold, and the centerpiece had three branches on either side. Thus, it held a total of seven lamps. The fire from this lamp burnt all day and night, lighting the temple. The high priest was ultimately responsible for the care of this lampstand to trim the wick, add fresh oil, and make sure they keep burning. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that the lampstand is symbolic of the church. Look at Revelation 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the seven lampstands represent the seven churches in Asia to whom the book of Revelation was written. Seven is a number of completion. The seven churches in Revelation represent the universal church. 
So where is Jesus in this vision? Our NIV translation says, Jesus was among the lampstands. But a, a stricter translation should be, Jesus was right in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus is at the very center of the lampstands, tending them like a priest. And even the fact that Jesus is wearing a long robe signifies that of a high priest. So like it was the job of the Old Testament priest to trim the wick, pour the oil, and attend to the lamp so the flames did not die, in the same way, Jesus is the high priest who now tends the lampstands, which is the church. At the most difficult period of church history, when Christians were being crushed by the Roman Empire, when the pressure and oppositions against them were intensifying, Jesus was right in the midst of the church, reassuring them of his presence. When dark forces were assaulting the church and threatening its very existence, Jesus had not left them desolate, but he was with them in the midst of the battle. Now here's a question. Where is Jesus today? On the basis of this vision, we can say Jesus is right in the midst of his church. Jesus is not watching us from above or standing on the sidelines and cheering us on. He's not using a remote control from heaven to operate his church. But he is at the very center. He guarantees us of his presence. That is Jesus' promise to every single church that believes in him. You know, what more does the church need than the assurance of his presence? If Jesus is right here with us in our midst, no matter what our circumstances are, we are okay. The church is not in any form of crisis as the analysts of our time would like us to believe. Because when the flame starts to flicker, Jesus stirs it up and revives his church. Jesus will never allow the influence of his church to fade, nor allow the flames to be extinguished. So on the basis of God's word, we can say this with confidence. The church as the body of believers cannot and will not fail because Jesus has taken the responsibility upon himself to take care of his bride. Now for the rest of this message, I'm going to quickly go through the images of Jesus in this grand vision presented by the Apostle John. Now if you notice carefully, these images are not new, but they are drenched in the Old Testament, primarily the books of Ezekiel and Daniel. And also you need to know this vision is not a physical description of what Jesus looks like but it should be seen as symbolic. So Jesus doesn't have a literal sword sticking out of his mouth. Although my kids would think that's kind of cool, we will see that the sword sticking off of his mouth is a symbolism for the judgment that he's going to bring. Now Jesus is presented in this vision as the Son of Man. It's a title that Jesus often used to refer to himself. This title, Son of Man, 
It's a very important title that is taken from a significant passage in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now hear the words of Daniel here. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You can see that the Son of Man in the book of Daniel is the central figure in history to whom all worship and allegiance belongs. All the kingdoms and all the peoples of this world will come under the dominion of his kingdom. It is the same title that John is using to refer to Jesus in this vision in Revelation, Son of Man. Jesus is wearing a long robe like a high priest and a golden sash around his chest to signify royalty. He is the undisputed sovereign. Verse 14 tells us, The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. The hair on Jesus' head was as white as wool, like snow. And the white hair symbolizes wisdom. Now on a side note, if the gray hairs on your head bother you, just say to yourself, it's a sign of wisdom. It has nothing to do with your age. You know, the next time you look at the mirror and you see the gray hairs, just say to yourself, I'm becoming more like Jesus. <laughs> I said this in the nine o'clock service and they really liked it. <laughs> you know, interestingly, Jesus with the hair white as wool resembles the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel. Now look at the description of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So the Eternal One who has no beginning, no end, God Almighty Himself is the Ancient of Days. And clearly, Jesus resembles him. The book of Revelation emphasizes over and over the divinity of Jesus. The description that is used of God is intentionally used of Jesus to signify that he is 100% divine. Now notice uh, Jesus' eyes in this vision. They are like blazing fire. It's a penetrating gaze. It signifies that Jesus sees everything because he's not carried away by the externals. And that's why if you pay attention to the messages that he brings to the seven churches, you will see that Jesus knew them inside out. He can see through. The blazing eyes signify his power to refine us and purify us from all impurities. John's vision also portrays Jesus' feet as bronze. If you remember again in the book of Daniel, 
Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar in his dream saw a great statue with a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet mingled with iron and clay. Now, feet mixed with clay signifies that this kingdom was shaky. But in John's vision, we see that Jesus has a feet like bronze. And that speaks of the firm, unshakable nature of Christ's kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus establishes is eternal. Now, the early church suffered under the Roman Empire. But the great Roman Empire lasted only about five centuries. That once invincible empire collapsed. But the empire of Jesus continues to thrive on and on and marches forward in victory and his kingdom will never end. Again, in this vision, the voice of Jesus is like rushing waters. If you've been to the Niagara Falls, the sound of the water drowns all other sounds. You can barely hear yourself. In a world where we are surrounded by so many competing voices, the voice of Jesus stands distinct and clear and drowns all other noise. It is an authoritative voice. What Jesus speaks comes to pass. No other voice can compete with his. In verse 16, it tells us, In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, verse 20 of Revelation 1 clarifies, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word used there for angels simply means messengers. So it could be translated heavenly beings as in angels, or it could be human messengers. Now if it is referring here to the angelic beings, then these heavenly beings are under the authority of Jesus. They exist to do his bidding. But my personal view is this is a reference to human messengers, which would mean that it's speaking about the leaders of the seven churches. Now, what an assurance it is to know that the leaders of the church are held in Jesus' right hand. Leading the church is one of the most challenging spiritual tasks. When we feel inadequate, when we feel discouraged by the attacks that we face on the front lines of battle, it is so encouraging to know that it is Jesus who is upholding us by his right hand. We are sustained by his grace and his strength alone. Again, we see in this vision, out of Jesus' mouth was a double-edged sword. And that signifies judgment. When Jesus came the first time into this world, he came to die for the sins of the world. But when he comes again, he will come as the world's judge. He will overthrow every opposition, whether human or satanic. No earthly ruler or heavenly being can stand before this righteous judge. As believers, 
we look forward to the day of judgment because God will wipe out every form of evil. We eagerly look forward to the vanquishing of sin and Satan and all oppositions that are against God. God's judgment is good news for the believer. We have nothing to fear about God's judgment. In fact, it is most appropriate to say, God is going to judge the world, hallelujah, because it is a wiping out of all forms of evil. And I'll unpack this particular theme later on in this series. So in this vision, Jesus is being unveiled. You see his glory. You come face to face with his majesty. There's only one fitting response. Look at verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The book of Revelation is full of worship songs. Do you know why? It is the most appropriate human response to God's revelation of himself. If reading the book of Revelation, witnessing the unveiling of Jesus' glory doesn't lead us to worship, then we have read this book wrong. We haven't gotten the slightest clue of this book's message. In response to this glorious vision of Jesus, the apostle John fell at the feet of Jesus, prostrate before the Lord. The apostle who was closest to Jesus could no longer stand. His knees buckled and he lay flat on the floor. Have you ever had that experience in your life? When you've been so overwhelmed by the presence of God that you could hardly stand, that it was impossible to even kneel, that the only posture that was fitting was to go flat on your face on the floor before the majesty and the glory of God. Oh, how we need that kind of a glorious experience today in our churches. And when you look at worship styles in modern evangelical churches, there seems to be an overdose of jumpy, clappy, happy worship that follows the latest fads. And my caution is, in all of this, let's not forget the holiness and majesty of who God is. Here is John, face down on the floor. And Jesus offers a tender response. And you need to know, John was in exile, alone, and discouraged. Maybe his heart was filled with doubts. All the other apostles had died. The church was facing uncertainties and challenges. The future looked so grim. It called into question the very gospel John had been preaching for more than 60 years. And in this vulnerable time in John's life, 
Jesus takes the time to come and let John know everything was going to be okay. He stooped right down to John, and did you notice? He placed his right hand on him. The right hand that upholds the entire universe. The right hand that held all of history. The right hand that controlled the entire angelic realm. The same right hand reached out and touched John. This great cosmic Jesus had time for an old man who was plagued with doubts, languishing in isolation, feeling forsaken, wondering what is happen happening. And here Jesus comes to him and personally reveals himself to him. Only in the Christian faith will you see the concept of a God who is both transcendent and imminent. You have to keep both these aspects in balance. Jesus is transcendent. He's above and beyond his creation, far more glorious than any of us can ever conceive. And at the same time, Jesus is also imminent. He is near and close. He's not a distant deity who is totally indifferent to our needs. But he is nearer to us than our hands and our feet. He is closer to us than our breath. And Jesus says to John, John, don't be afraid. I have conquered death and Hades. I have walked into the gaping jaws of the greatest enemy there is, and I have stripped death of its power. What can the Neros and the Domitians of this world do? Can they ever thwart the purposes of God? In light of this grandiose vision of Jesus, all of John's fears were put to rest. They were unwarranted. Pastor Darrell Johnson points out, Revelation offers an alternate reading of reality. Things are not the way they appear to be on the outside. The evening news doesn't reflect the true state of our world. We have to base our faith on the unseen reality that our risen, conquering Savior holds the whole world in His hands. You know, when things happen in your life that makes you wonder, is there anyone in charge? Why is my life spinning out of orbit? That's when you need this exalted vision of Jesus. When the government intensifies its stance against Christian values and eliminates God from all of our public policies, that's when you need this exalted vision of Jesus. When you're going through situations in your life that make no sense, loss of a loved one, illness, tragedies, job loss, all of which calls into question your beliefs and convictions. That's when you need this exalted vision of Jesus. When God is prompting you to share the gospel with someone or urging you to step outside of your comfort zone or serve in a particular ministry area in the church, that's when you need this exalted vision of Jesus. 
when you're wrestling with temptations, when you're struggling in an area of obedience to God, that's when you need this exalted vision of Jesus. We all are guilty of shrinking Jesus, of allowing our looming circumstances to downsize our view of Christ. For the early church, though, the vision of Jesus rivaled everything else. The Roman Empire, the fierce persecutions, the threats of false teachings, all of that. Let me ask you, does your vision of Jesus rival everything else in your life? When life spirals out of control, when all hell seems to break loose, when God seems distant and your problems seem to get the better of you, when it seems like the church is on the verge of defeat, rather than being overwhelmed by what we are seeing with our natural eyes, by faith we need to open our eyes and see the unseen, unchangeable, unshakable reality that our triumphant Jesus is still Lord and King. And when this vision becomes real to you, Jesus will reach out to you with his right hand. He will touch you personally, and he will give you a fresh new perspective. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. Revelation is an unveiling of Jesus. The curtain is being drawn back and you see Jesus' full identity. And this vision that John received was a personal vision. And I believe that this vision can become personal to every single one of us here whether your heart is being discouraged by what you're seeing in the world or what you're seeing in your life. We need to see all things in our life through one lens, the Lordship of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and let God speak to you in areas where you need to be challenged. What do you need to see in this vision that needs to become personal to you. I'm gonna ask us to maintain a moment of silence and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes and helping us to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. And now we pray that you'll pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy.
God, we want to see you even more. And we want our perspective in life to change in light of this vision. Help us, Lord, to see this exalted Savior who holds all things in the palm of his hands. Help us to see that Jesus is not far away, but he's right here in our midst. And we worship you, we bow down to you, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise that is due to your name. Jesus, you are the incomparable Christ. There's no one like you. You have no rivals. You have no equals. You stand as the one who is exalted all about. We ask, Lord, that as this vision becomes personal to us, it'll give us a fresh new courage that our hearts will not be discouraged by what's happening in the world or by the state of the church, but, Lord, that we will march forward, that we will be uplifted and strengthened to live out our faith and live out our calling and seeing your kingdom advance. So we ask all this in the matchless name of our risen, conquering Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.